Third John. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Third John. Today we're going to look at three men and the truth. As you're turning there, let me just kind of review a little bit of what we have seen so far. We're concluding today this series on the letters of John. And so we've walked through 1 John, took a while to do that. And then 2 John last week, very short letter. 3 John this week, also a very short letter. <clears throat> and let me just kind of characterize those letters for you. That'll help set the context for what we're seeing here in 3 John today. This letter is personal. Now 1 John was circular, meaning it was sent to a region to a number of churches who probably circulated that letter around. So it's very kind of generic. It fits the context of what was going on in the region, but it wasn't directed to one particular church. Second John, what we looked at last week, was particular. It was directed to one local church. Third John is personal. It's directed to one particular person in one of those churches. So the letter is written to a man named Gaius. <clears throat> this letter is about the truth. Now there are other themes that are present. You'll find things like hospitality and pride and some other things like that that are themes that are present in this letter. But at the core, this letter, like 1 John and 2 John, is about the truth. We're introduced to three men in this letter, Gaius, Diotrephes and Demetrius. And each one of them is described in relation to the truth. Apparently, John had sent some fellow workers to the church that Gaius is a part of. I assume he's probably a leader in the church. And Gaius had received those fellow workers and helped them. Diotrephes had rejected them and thrown them out, and John planned to deal with that when he was going to come in person. Demetrius, we really don't have anything in the, in the letter other than a little description about him, so we don't know his role, but the most likely thing, what most commentators seem to think is, he's probably the guy who brought the letter from John to Gaius. He's the, uh, the guy who's delivering the letter. Let's take a look then at 3 John. <clears throat> the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth." I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, 
And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. So three men and the truth. And this morning, I don't really have a whole lot on the PowerPoint other than the characterization of each of these three men. So if you want more than that, you'll have to jot it down yourself. But we begin with Gaius. Gaius was a promoter of the truth. There's three things that we see about Gaius. First of all, John loves Gaius as a Christian brother based on their love of the truth. When we began the series, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, here's what John wrote. He said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And catch this, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship is based on the truth. And John's message that he's been proclaiming, the truth that he brings, is the truth of what he has seen and heard about Jesus. It's the message of the gospel. The good news, the announcement that Jesus has come, that he's died on the cross, and he's taken the payment for our sins, that he gives us his righteousness, that he stands in our place. That's the good news that has been passed on. And that's the basis for our fellowship. Our fellowship is based on the truth. Our common bond is the truth. Therefore, the truth must be central to the life of the church. The truth, therefore, must be prized and upheld in the church. John loves Gaius as a Christian brother based on their love of the truth, the fellowship they have in the truth. The second thing about Gaius is this. He walks in the truth. His commitment to the truth is not mere words. He lives according to the truth. He puts it into practice. It would be very easy for us to gather on Sundays and in our community groups and nod our heads and agree with the truth, but then to live our lives during the week in a way that doesn't measure up to the truth. Yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord, but I'm going to live with myself as the highest priority. Yes, I believe the Bible is God's word, and I believe that God has put his spirit in me to guide me into all truth, 
but I'm going to turn to Facebook and my unbelieving friends for parenting advice. Yes, I believe God is sovereign. God is in control, but I'm going to live in fear of the future. I'm not called to just agree with the truth and not even just to believe the truth, <clears throat> but to walk in it, to put it into practice, to live it. And Gaius did this. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Third thing about Gaius, then, is that he promoted the truth. John writes about all your efforts for these brothers. Gaius has worked hard to support the work of these teachers who are coming with the truth. John says, to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So Gaius is taking care of them in a manner like God takes care of his people. Gaius is caring for these teachers of truth. <clears throat> John says that they've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So these teachers are not dependent on the Gentiles because Gaius and others are supplying them well. They're promoting the truth by taking care of those who are teaching the truth and sending them on their way and giving them what they need. That support can come in a variety of ways. Time, money, supportive speech, supplies, all kinds of things. And then John gives us this little kind of transition to say that we should be doing the same thing. We should support those who spread the truth of the gospel. We do that through missions or local ministries or supporting each other in ministries. So Gaius is a great example for us because he's a promoter of the truth. He, John loves Gaius as a Christian brother based on their love of truth. Gaius walks in the truth and Gaius is actively promoting the truth. The next person that we meet in this letter is Diotrephes. And Diotrephes was an opposer of truth. He's an opposer of truth. He opposed those who spread the truth. He rejected them and those who helped them. Now, Jesus and Paul and John and other church leaders have faced this kind of opposition, and it's happened all throughout history. That's nothing new. Often the opposition comes from those who appeared to be on their side. As we looked at 1 John, we saw that there were those who seemed like they had been part of the church who had gone out from them and were now teaching a false gospel. And that language of going out, we said, is the same language that's used of Judas, going out from the disciples to betray Jesus. In opposing the truth, Diotrephes is opposing the word of God. He's opposing the apostolic truth, that which we have seen and heard that John has passed down. Opposing someone who's teaching the truth is opposing the truth. And it places Diotrephes squarely in opposition to Christ. Now, why did he oppose him? Well, this is the second thing we note about him. Diotrephes desired to have the preeminence. Look at verse 9. Who likes to put himself first. He was self-seeking. Of course, we can see that as we look at the realm of politics. We see all kinds of people whose calling is to serve the people, but who really put themselves first. But unfortunately, that even happens in the realm of the church as well. 
People act for their own gain and their own prestige. In doing this, Diotrephes is really being very unlike Christ. Let me read for you two passages. If you want to turn and follow along, you can, or you can just listen as I read. I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2. These are familiar verses, Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And listen to how Jesus is characterized in this passage. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's the humility of Christ. He's not putting himself first. And yet, what is the Father's response to that? Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the one who actually deserves that place. He deserves to be first. Yet when he came, the example that he set for us was that he humbled himself. He lowered himself. Now, it is for us to humble ourselves, but to lift him up to his preeminent place. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18 says this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. If Diotrephes is putting himself first, then Christ is not preeminent. And anytime that we are putting ourselves first, Christ is not preeminent. That's the original sin. Satan wanted to be like the Most High. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. And every one of us thinks more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We're all prone to this very sin. So Diotrephes opposed those who spread the truth. 
He opposed them because he wanted to have the preeminence. And how did he do it? What did it look like? Well, he was arrogant and malicious. He does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, John says, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. He's arrogant and he's malicious. He did not acknowledge proper biblical authority. God had given the apostles authority to proclaim truth, and Diotrephes rejected that authority. He may have been an authority himself in the church. He may have been an elder or some kind of leader in the church. But when you have two authorities that disagree, what are you supposed to do? Well, the ultimate standard, like we saw in the catechism this morning, is the word of God. It's the rule for us. Diotrephes, though, propped himself up by cutting others down and preventing them from prominence. He was talking wicked nonsense about John and others. And that still happens today. You and I are responsible to be discerning when we hear things. Examine it to find the truth. And beyond that, look for when the truth is silenced. Be aware of when people are not willing to hear the truth. When they silence it with power, when they silence it with cancel culture. And be ready, if you're going to speak the truth, to be treated this way. John then says, don't imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And so his, his kind of transition point here is choose... All right, so Demetrius... Let me just kind of begin again with what we've said about Demetrius. Demetrius has a good reputation from the testimony of other Christians. He's probably the one who carried the letter from John to this church. And John wants Gaius to know that Demetrius has a good reputation amongst the Christians in the area. But he also has this good reputation from God's word. Demetrius is said to have a good reputation from the truth itself. That's a fascinating description. I had never really noticed that before when I read 3 John. Think about it for a minute. What do you think that means? Demetrius has a good reputation from the truth itself. I think that's simply saying that when you measure this man against the standard of the truth, the standard of God's word, he has a good reputation. He lives the truth. He walks in the truth. I want people to be able to say that about me. He has a good reputation from the truth itself. And then finally, he's got a good reputation from John. John trusts him with this letter. John vouches for him. If Gaius and the church that he's a part of have questions about what John has written, it's probably going to be Demetrius that they ask. He's probably going to be the one who clarifies since he's the one that John has sent. And John trusts him to do this. And so Gaius can trust him too. So Demetrius has a reputation for truth. A good reputation in the testimony of other Christians. A good reputation from the truth itself and a good reputation from John. So we see that Gaius was a promoter of truth, 
Diotrephes was an opposer of truth. Demetrius had a reputation for truth. What about you? What's your relation to the truth? To answer that question the way we want to, we really need to be saturating ourselves in the truth. In 2021, what will your relationship with God's word be? As you look at our culture today, it used to be that objective truth was the baseline from which we all operated. That is no longer the case. We've turned a corner. It's been building for a long time. It's been building, honestly, for a century. Critical theory began a long time ago. And critical theory is, at its core, the belief that everything is about power dynamics, not about truth. So everything is measured in terms of power, not truth. For a long time, that idea was ridiculed. Then it just kind of remained in the academy. It rolled around in the colleges and the universities for many years, began to trickle down in academic literature, in the arts, in social theory, in education. Now it is full mainstream. You witnessed it this week. It's not about truth. It's about power. And that each of us is affected by that, probably in ways that we have yet to realize. And as I talked with some of you and others this week, that was one of the things that we keep coming back to in conversation. We ask questions like, why won't they look at the evidence? And the answer is, It's not about truth. It's about power. And if you're still living with the expectation that we should all be looking for the truth and basing our decisions on the truth and expecting courts to judge based on the truth and thinking that our legislators and our leaders will base their policies on the truth and thinking that the media is really just wanting to find the truth, then you're missing the point. James White is a Christian apologist, a very good one, This week, one of the comments that he made was this. He was saying, basically, if there is no objective truth, then there is, quote, no shame for double standards and hypocrisy. Truth is whatever promotes the narrative. Get used to it. We're about to swim in it for the foreseeable future. You must understand this. In our culture today, truth has been replaced by power. And so we need to see it for what it is, see the power dynamics that push out truth, and we need to hold to the truth unwaveringly. If there's one thing that has come out in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it is the importance of the truth. Hold to the truth. The truth that has been passed down from the apostles And not just hold to it in the sense that, yes, I agree with it. Believe it. Walk in it. Live the truth. Jesus 
is the truth. He told us he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so our eyes need to be on him. The gospel changes people. We need to fight the cultural battles. That's important. That's why we went Wednesday. It's important for us to do that because of truth. Because on a cultural level, it's good for our nation if we walk in truth. It's important to fight the cultural battles. But we also need to know that the true good news, the gospel, is what changes people. And we need to be proclaimers of truth. We need to be promoters of truth. We need to have a reputation for truth so that we speak it and we live it. And that the gospel, the good news, that Jesus, God in the flesh, died on the cross, taking my sin penalty, giving me his righteousness, and that because of that, I can be reconciled to God. That good news needs to be lived out in every area of life by every one of us. Believe the truth, know the truth, live the truth. May we be a church that promotes the truth and has a reputation for truth, in a world that rejects and distorts the truth. Lord, I pray that we would be people of truth. That your word would be in our hearts and in our minds. That it would be our rule, our standard for life. It certainly looks like the world is going to become for us a more difficult place to speak and to live the truth. May you prepare us and strengthen us, equip us to be faithful followers of Jesus in this world. We thank you for the truth you have given. Help us to be loyal to it and to walk in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.